Hey there, thank you for joining me, Stanley, on the Saturday. Um, I'm again sharing some reflections I've had since um, our foster daughter had to be removed. And um, I, I hope that these do help in some way. I know that um, some of it's just personal, um, just things that I'm thinking about and dealing with. But I do think that they have much larger application um, I think the one that I'm going to end up sharing today definitely has a much larger application. Um, some of them, uh, I will be sharing kind of my own particulars of them, but try to help us think through some of the larger importance of it. Um, but this one is, it's going to be pretty clear how much it can matter um, beyond just my certain situation. Um, so today I want to talk some about shame and shame can be such a destructive thing, but it's so easy for us to fall into without even knowing it. Um, and that, that's where it can get really dangerous actually. Um, it is so easy for us to build up shame onto ourselves for things. Um, you know, it was very easy as soon as we had to have um, our foster daughter removed for my wife and I to look at ourselves as failures. Um, we were about a month away from adopting her. And all of a sudden now, like, she's going to be having an extremely rough time probably for a while rebuilding relationships, um, building the new relationships that she needs and rebuilding, uh, s some of the relationships that she has because, um, she's very hurt by what happened. There are things that my wife and I did or didn't do for her that might've changed things. Um, it just made us feel guilty and we quickly internalized that guilt into shame. Um, something that I've heard that helps, um, make clear the difference between guilt and shame is that guilt says I've done something wrong and shame says I am something wrong. That the, the bad that was done suddenly becomes not just an external thing that happened, um, not just I, I did this bad thing or this bad thing happened to me, but that now I'm bad. I'm not any good. Uh, my wife and I definitely struggled some with internalizing guilt around the whole situation. And um, some things that we've learned and looking back at things, I'm confident that uh, my foster daughter internalized a lot of shame. Um, and the really hard thing about shame is that when we've done something that we feel guilty about, it makes us hide whatever that thing is. Um, we, we don't want people to know because we assume that they are going to look at us and just think that we're really bad, that we're going to lose um, value in other people's eyes, maybe even lose the relationships that we had, that... Um, Things are just going to get so much worse because of 
this thing that happened that we feel so horrible about. And so then we keep it secret, but that makes it even worse because not a, not only now are we just ashamed of that thing, but now we're constantly telling ourselves, well, if anyone knew about this thing and it now holds more power over us. And then it gets worse and it builds because then it's, you know, all the things we do to cover it up suddenly get added into it. And, you know, oh, if only they knew, well, man, if, if they knew about all these things that I've done and these lies that I've told, these ways that I've concealed it. Shame has this major way of building and building and it will then break apart relationships because there's stuff that you're not revealing to the other person. It has a way of um, distorting our thinking and our behaviors because of our distorted thinking. Uh, We'll act in ways that we normally wouldn't. We will um, say Things that we never would have thought about saying. We'll we'll begin thinking and seeing things in ways that aren't how they really are. But because we feel so ashamed, that's the only thing that we can think. It it has a way of just kind of warping everything. And as I've been thinking about all of this it dawned on me that there are some major scripture passages in the gospel of John that all deal with this idea of shame and, and show different ways that Jesus dealt with people's shame and helped them recover from it and move forward from it. And it it shows kind of a multi-layered approach to shame. So the first time that we encounter shame in um, John's gospel uh, that, that I'm thinking about at least is uh, looking at John um, believe it's in chapter 4 um, yeah Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well um, John chapter 4 right he meets the Samaritan woman at the well and um, he points to that po- that bit of shame. And, um, I know one thing I've learned is it's unclear why she's had all of these husbands, uh, because it could be that they're all brothers. And so one dies and she goes to the next relative and then the next one. So they're all kind of relatives. She continues to go to, and then finally now she's living with someone who's not a husband because no one is willing to take her in as a husband. Um, but it's, it's this huge sense of shame that she doesn't have uh, children. She doesn't have family to take care of her. She has these series of marriages that ended traumatically, whether divorce or whether she's, you know, just kind of been going around, not being very moral, whatever it is, it's been very bad for her. And Jesus approaches her as a woman and as a Samaritan. It's like, here's Jesus status. And then here's her and all these descriptors kind of move her further down. But Jesus meets with her, which kind of starts to build her back up. And then he hits that point of shame by saying, go call your husband. And then saying, yeah, you know, you're right to say that you don't have a husband because this is your situation. And the woman goes into town telling everyone, come meet this person who knows me and knows 
what I've done and knows where I've been. And for her, just the fact that Jesus knew her shame and approached her anyway was enough. That was all it took. It didn't take Jesus doing anything dramatic. It didn't take Jesus specifically telling her she doesn't have to be ashamed. Jesus just had to know it. And all of a sudden she's like, oh my gosh, this man knows my shame. And yet like talked and interacted with me. And, and maybe that's all you need is there to be that person who can know and still respond to you with acceptance and compassion. But then the next story comes and it's a bit more than that. Uh, we continue on a little bit further um, in John's gospel. And um, we get to um, the woman caught in adultery. Um, John, uh, the, the very tail end of chapter 7 into John chapter 8. And uh, this woman did something wrong. Um, now there's a lot of questions around it, but uh, from what we gather from the text, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Jesus never disputes that. So this is a woman who's done something in this culture that's horrible, shameful. Um, it was punishable by death. Um, this woman did a, did an absolutely horrible thing. And... Yet Jesus' response to her is not one of judgment. Jesus responds to her by looking at all of her accusers and saying, okay, well, you know what? If you've not messed up before, you throw the first stone. And one by one, the accusers drop their stones. And then Jesus says to her, who is it who's accusing you? And she has to say, no one. And Jesus responds, then I don't accuse you either. Now go and sin no more. That's a step further. So, so now, like, everyone knows this woman's shameful thing. Like, she did something awful and everyone knows it. She doesn't have a chance to hide it. Her shame is completely public. So Jesus has to, yes, show that he knows what she did but then show that he can show acceptance and compassion to her while at the same time not excusing what she did. Because she knows how bad it is. So it's not like Jesus is looking at her and saying, yeah, you're innocent of everything. You know, it's all fine. It's all good. No, Jesus meets her in her shame. You know, yes, you did something awful and you did something horrible. But... Jesus approaches her in that shame and says, I'm not going to condemn you for it. You can choose from this point forward to be different. You can choose from this point forward to not go back into that destructive relationship and not go back into those destructive choices. Go forward from this place relieved of the guilt and relieved of the shame. I don't condemn you. 
go forward from this place and now make the choices that will give you life, that won't bring you back into your shame. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've made those bad choices and you need to just just know God doesn't condemn you. That you can be better and you can choose to move forward not making those same choices. But for some of us, that shame is so deep and it's so hard that we don't just have the option of hearing that Jesus forgives us and we don't just have the option of accepting what Jesus says. Um, We actually are going to have to make a bit more of an effort to deal with that shame. God's going to have to do more to help us deal with that shame. And this comes at the end of John's gospel now. So you have all of Jesus ministry. He, um, you know, lived, did, had his whole ministry, uh, died on the cross, rose again, is with his disciples and he meets with Peter. Now imagine how ashamed Peter had to be he denied Jesus three times. He has to be so full of shame and regret for this awful choice that he made. And Jesus in this, uh, appearance to Peter and a few of the other disciples there. Um, they kind of all eat breakfast. And then Jesus looks at Peter and asks him, do you love me? And he asks him this question three times and three times. Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And three times Jesus then says to Peter, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend to my sheep, like take care of, these other disciples. Now, early on in Jesus' ministry, the other gospels point out that Peter was kind of positioned as a leader. Peter's position is a very key disciple among all of the disciples. And yet he had this huge failure. And it can be very easy to kind of see that Peter is thinking, okay, you know what? Like Jesus rose from the dead and, and he's appeared to me and like things are kind of moving forward, but I, I can't go back. The, the shame's just too much. And so what Jesus does is he actually takes Peter aside and reenacts the very moment of Peter's deepest shame to give Peter a chance to undo his mistake. And Um, A lot can be made of the different words for love that are used because Jesus starts off with, um, you know, Peter, do you unconditionally love me more than these Uh, with the word agape? So it's, do you unconditionally love me? Agape, this unconditional godlike love. And not just do you agape love me, but do you unconditionally love me more than all the other disciples? And Peter just responds, Lord, you know, I love you with a familial brotherly kind of love. Not, I love you more than the others. Not, I love you unconditionally, but just this kind of brotherly love. And then Jesus says, okay, well, do you unconditionally love me? 
And Peter again says, you know that I have this brotherly love of you. And then Jesus says, well, Peter, do you brotherly love me? And it's like, Jesus knew the love that Peter's supposed to have, the love that we're all supposed to have. But I think Jesus also knew Peter's not there yet. And so in, excuse me, in reenacting Peter's denial, he walks Peter from where he wants Peter to end up with this unconditional love beyond what is expected of most to where Peter's already at saying, okay, Peter, you're saying you have this brotherly love for me. I want you to love me unconditionally more than even those who are around, but you're saying you have this brotherly love for me. So can you at least give me that? I'll work with that. And it says that Peter's heart is broken because he asks this question the third time. And I think some of it is Peter's like, oh, I'm like I denied Jesus three times and he's, he's going back into that. But I also think it's that he hears Jesus now asking, hey, do, do you love me the way you say you do? And Peter has to say, yes, I do love you like that. And then Jesus continues on with it from there. I think sometimes for us to really move past our shame, we have to do more than just allow someone we trust to know what's there. I think sometimes we have to do more than uh, like receiving forgiveness for mistakes we've made and allowing ourselves to move forward, saying, I'm not going to go back to that mistake. I'm going to make changes to move forward and do better. I think sometimes we have to go back to that place. And find a way to undo the bad choices that we made and allow God to meet us in that where we are and rework us into the place and the people who he wants us to eventually become. Now that's a lot but I have one more thing because John actually isn't done with talking about shame. And it, it's interesting because this other place where John talks, and, and I am seeing this as important in this whole idea of shame. It, it's not in the gospel. It, it's in the book of Revelation. Because in the book of Revelation, John talks about how God will have a stone and, and God will give us a stone and on it is written a name for each one of us. And I see this and I can't help but think kind of back to the, the woman caught in adultery. She was getting stoned, but for a lot of us, we get stones flung at us through words and names that people call us. They, can say mean, horrible things to us and, and pile on that shame on top of us. But at the end of time, when, when God brings about his new creation and all things are set right, we are given a stone with a new name. A, a new name 
that speaks to who we are as God made us. And that's going to be a name without any shame. It's going to be a name where when you hear it, you hear all of the love and acceptance of God spoken over you in the one name. And instead of it being a stone that people use to to hurl at you, to destroy you, it will be a stone that gets gifted to you, that establishes you as who you truly are. And sometimes for that to happen, we have to open up and admit the things that we are the most ashamed of so that God can heal those. Whether God does it just by allowing the thing to be known and that bringing about the healing that's needed. Or whether God does it by by showing the acceptance of us in spite of our mistakes and, and calling us to move forward and live in a better way. Or whether God does it even by getting us in places where we reenact that shame but can make the better choice and God calls us to love him better and helps us move from where we are at now to where God wants us to be. God is working to help us remove our shame. Maybe your shame is is pretty much founded in the things that others have done. They're there are people who do some awful things, and maybe you think that because of what others have done to you, you are worth less. Or maybe you've made some mistakes, and, and you, just, you know that if others knew the things you did, then they couldn't look at you the same way. I want you to know that God knows all things. God knows that deepest, darkest part of you, the the thing that you hide from everyone else. God already knows it. The Bible talks about how darkness is as light to God and there's nowhere that we can hide. But that isn't something for us to be afraid of because God might see that and God might know that, but God loves you perfectly and unconditionally even in those places of pain and shame and suffering. So as we wrap up today, I want to say to you words that I've said to myself and to my wife and words that I hope at some point I can say to my foster daughter and words that I want to say to any future foster kids we might have or to our girls or or anyone else I can. Shame is a liar. Shame tries to tell you that you're not worth it, that you're not worth anything, that you're not any good. It is a liar. Bad things you've thought or bad things you've done or bad things that have happened to you are just details 
in a huge story that God is writing in your life. And that story is going to be beautiful and amazing and good. And you do not need to hide that shame. There are plenty of other people who have been there. There are plenty of other people who share those details in your story. And no matter what they are, you are loved and accepted by people who are in your life and most importantly by God. And you don't need to hide in your shame and you don't need to hide in your suffering. You don't need to be alone. There's nothing to be ashamed of. You're loved and you're cherished and you are God's beautiful, beloved child. God bless you all. Take care.